0: So I want you to think about this question, is church for Christians or is church for non-Christians? You may have never actually thought of that question before, but it's a good chance that implicitly the way that you answer that question has impacted the decisions you make, both in where you go to church and even how you live your Christian life. Is church for Christians or for non-Christians. In fact, if you were to look at churches across the country, even here in Pierce County, you would be able to tell pretty quickly by looking at their website, watching a YouTube video of their service, what kind of church they think they are, how they would answer that question about whether or not what they do on Sunday, maybe even right now at this moment, whether the purpose of it is for the sake of believers or for the sake of non-believers. I have a pastor friend in West Virginia. He planted a church a little over five years ago, and he told me that when he planted his church, when he announced that he was going to be planting a church along with a team of other people, the most popular question that he got was, what kind of church are you going to plant? Are you going to plant a discipleship church, is the jargon that some would use, or are you going to plant an outreach church? Which is just two different ways of saying, are you going to plant a church designed specifically for Christians, or are you going to plant a church designed specifically for non Christians? That was the way that they thought about it. And maybe even so, you in your life, even if you've never actually thought through that question the way that I just presented it, there might be a good chance that you also are living your life as a believer, if you are a believer. Based on whether or not you think that the purpose of your life is for the sake of at church benefiting other Christians or for benefiting non Christians. The way that a church answers the question, is church for believers or non believers, will impact the programs that they do. It will impact the way that they worship. It will impact the way that a pastor preaches. It will permeate every decision that a church makes for years and decades to come. It will impact, for better or worse, Generations in the decades ahead in that community, and that includes Graham Emanuel Baptist Church. Are we a church for Christians? Or are we a church for non Christians? The way that we answer that question is going to have massive impact. The good thing is that we don't have to come up with an answer, we can go to God's word for the answer. And so this morning, we're going to be spending 30 minutes looking at. What God believes the purpose of church is and what God believes the purpose of Christians should be as it relates to themselves, believers, or perhaps non-believers. Turn to Colossians, and we're actually going to start in Colossians chapter 1. We have two more messages in Colossians. We'll be preaching this morning in Colossians and then ending our series next week. Next week, I'll announce what our next sermon series will be. But as you turn to Colossians 1, remember that Paul is writing a letter to a group of people that he has never met. This was a group of non-believers who, through the work of a man named Epaphras, who was serving with Paul, became a church. They became a collection and a gathering of Christians together. And Paul had it on his heart that even though he didn't know these people personally... He still saw them as brothers and sisters in Christ, and so he wanted to write a letter to encourage these believers living in the city of Colossae. But look at how Paul begins his letter. He begins his letter with a focus on outreach. He begins his letter with a focus on how God's people in Colossae have made a horizontal impact on those around them. He starts out in verse 3 of chapter 1 in his letter, saying, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Let's keep going. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth and the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. I want you to recognize a few elements by which Paul starts out his letter. He starts out his letter with prayer. And he starts out his letter with prayer specifically in thankfulness for the Colossians. But not only that, the reason that he says that he's thankful is two reasons. Number one, that they received knowledge of who Jesus was. But not just that, that they received knowledge of who Jesus was and that that knowledge has had an impact on those around them. That it has an impact on the saints around them. Saints is another word for Christians. But Paul also says that he prayers in thankfulness because it has borne fruit across the whole world, that it is bearing fruit and increasing, he says, as it even has with you in Colossae. So before Paul says anything about how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, or who Jesus is, or how to honor Christ in both word and deed, he starts the tone of his letter to Christians, telling them that he's been praying for them in thankfulness because they've received Christ and they've also made Christ known. They've had a vertical knowledge of God that they've also made horizontal to those around them. As we look now at the end of Colossians, we'll find that Paul ends his letter to the Colossians the same way. That he bookends his letter with the same theme of prayer and thankfulness for the sake of God's word being spread. For the sake of this vertical relationship that the Colossians are having with God, having a horizontal impact on those around them. Look at verse 2 of Colossians chapter 4. Instead of Paul saying what he and those around him are doing, descriptive language is at the beginning of Colossians. He's saying, I am praying for you in thankfulness. He now ends his letter with the same themes, but instead of giving descriptive language, he's now giving prescriptive language. He's giving a command now to the Colossians, telling them at the end of the letter to do the same thing that he described of himself At the beginning of the letter, continue steadfastly in prayer, is what Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And we'll actually read the whole passage just to see how these themes are bookended at the beginning and the end. Verse 3, at the same time, Paul says, pray also for us, us is referring to Paul and his fellow apostles and ministers of the word. He says, pray for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Then in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In all the things that Paul shares to the Colossians, he begins and ends with a call to prayer and thankfulness for the sake of making the message of who Jesus is known to those around them. Therefore, since that is Paul's emphasis to the church in Colossae, it must also be an emphasis to the church in Graham, Washington. And what we're going to do for the rest of our time this morning is we are going to break down these verses and look at every description that Paul gives, every prescription that Paul gives as it relates to prayer and thankfulness and spreading the word, and we're going to apply it to ourselves as a church. Because what we're going to find the big idea is, if we were to summarize the point of this passage, the big idea that Paul is getting across in these verses is that Christians must pray and obey for the spread of the gospel. Christians must pray and obey for the spread of the gospel. And you must individually ask yourself are you doing that? Are you, if you call yourself a believer, are you praying and obeying to God in a way that is for the sake of the spread of the gospel? And if you're wondering what is the gospel, the gospel means good news. It's the good news of the fact that even though you are a sinner and you're destined to eternity in hell because you've fallen short of God's standard of holiness, that God created an opportunity to have a restored relationship between you and him as a result of sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life on your behalf, but also take the punishment for your sin on the cross on your behalf. And that all you have to do to have this restored relationship with your creator is by faith call out to the Lord in dependence saying that you want God's forgiveness based on Jesus's life and death on your behalf to turn away from your life of sin and depend on Christ, his death and resurrection by faith. Do this and you will be saved. This is the gospel. And that is the thing that I just told you, what you just heard. Paul says here that we must be praying and obeying for the sake of that message being spread to all of those around us. So let's look at the first verse, verse 2. Verse 2 in of itself could be an expositional message. We could have made this an entire sermon because Paul gives great reminders about what prayer is in his command to the Colossians. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There's three points there. Do you see those three points about prayer in verse 2? Paul tells them that when they pray, they should be praying continually, not just occasionally like we usually do, but that he wants them to be praying without ceasing is how he puts it to the Thessalonians. He tells them to continue steadfastly in prayer. But not only that, he tells them that they should also be watchful in prayer. That's an amazing word that he uses to be watchful in prayer. Most of us are sleepy in prayer. And here's what I mean by that. This word watchfulness is literally referring to being awake, keeping yourself awake as if you're staying awake through the night. Most of us, when it comes to prayer, we're sleepy when it comes to prayer because it's as if we go through our life sleeping only to be nudged and woken up occasionally when we need to respond with prayer. Hey, someone's in the hospital. Hey, there's a situation that happened at work. Hey, the pipes just burst over at the church. Wake up, say a prayer. You know, respond with prayer. And some prayer is better than no prayer. But instead of having a prayer life that is reactive, that uh, you need to be forced to be woken up from whatever it is you're doing to pause and take a moment of prayer and then go back to sleep and whatever it is that you're doing in life. Paul says that we should be watchful in prayer. We should always be looking out and being alert and constantly thinking and processing through everything. How can I be praying for this? We apparently have 200 names on our prayer chain email list. That's more people that are in the room right now here in this church worship center. I wonder if all of those 200 people who are on the prayer chain list, if they are watchful in prayer, if they look to that prayer mailing list watchfully so that they can continually pray in it. This is how Paul starts out his command to the Colossians that they should be praying watchfully and continually and also with thankfulness, thanking God for the ways that he has blessed us. But even though that in itself could be a tight-packaged, nice little sermon, the whole point of why Paul brings up this point of prayer again at the end of his letter, because remember, he's already talked about prayer at the beginning of his letter. If you were to go back on YouTube and look at our sermons at the beginning of 2023, you would find a sermon on prayer from Colossians. But the reason why Paul brings up prayer in this paragraph is not just because he wants to teach and remind them about what prayer is, but because he's commanding them to pray in a certain way, but also for certain things. And it's all going to relate to our big idea, which is ultimately going to be for the spread of the gospel. Look at the different ways that Paul commands the Colossians to pray. We see this in verse 3. He says, at the same time, pray also for us. These are Paul's referring to the apostles and the other ministers of the word. He says, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. This is the first way that Paul tells the Colossians that they should be watchful and continuous in their prayer. Number one, that God will open a door for the word. That's your first point. You should be praying, not just reactively when things pop up, but in addition to that, you should be praying continuously and watchfully that God provides opportunities to share his word. You should be praying for that here at this church. You should be praying for that even at the CareNet uh, ministry that we just looked at earlier this morning. You should be praying for that for other people. Churches in this area, you should be praying for that. For missionaries across the globe, for students who are sent on YWAM missions, you should be actively, watchfully praying that God opens up doors and opportunities in order for what to be shared? Look at that key word. In order for the word to be shared, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Remember, this is a prison epistle. Paul is in chains in Rome as he is writing this. That word mystery of Christ is not like a Scooby-Doo episode. It doesn't mean that Christ himself is mysterious. The word mysterious in this context refers to something that people don't know about, something that has not been revealed yet. That's what the word mystery is referring to. And Paul says specifically that the way that Christ is revealed— The way that Christians should be watchfully praying is so that God opens up a door, not so that people can be encouraged or inspired, not so that they can uh, feel loved or they can find relationships and friendships, but so that the Word can be shared. It's about the Word. I am amazed how many churches in America, in western Washington, in Pierce County, that they will do everything to bring people through their doors. They'll do anything for people to sit in their chairs. They'll do anything for people to show up to their programs so they can post a picture of it on their Instagram page. And they'll do all of it pragmatically. Why? Simply so that people will come. I've heard so many pastors, they will justify everything that they do in ministry. Every trick, every program, every light show and fog machine, they'll justify all of it saying, well, if it brings people to church. Those tools, those gimmicks, those programs, those things that we do just to try to have people show up, that is not the thing that we should be praying that God opens the door to. It is God's word and God's word alone by which he builds his church. Too many churches, even here in Pierce County, have found the Word of God to be secondary in their purpose as a church. They say, well, we'll we'll attract them with a harvest festival and we'll get them to come. We'll give them the candy. We'll we'll have the games. We'll do fun things. And then they'll come to church and all will be well because they've come to church. They're still starving. Have you ever heard that phrase, preach the gospel when necessary, use words? That's a terrible phrase. Pick that out of your lifestyle. That's like saying end world hunger when necessary, use food. Because God has declared that the way that we solve the issue of sin in this world is only with God's salvation. And Romans 10 says that faith only comes by hearing. We must be a church of the word. We must be a Sunday service of the word. We must have a worship ministry of the word. We must have a children's ministry of the word. Everything else that we do, it's not that it's inherently bad, but it is only good insofar as much as it brings people to hear the word of God and be called to apply it in their life. Awana is a great example of this. Awana is a blast. Awana has games. Awana has activities, it has handbooks, it has fun, crazy nights where you can come and dress in your pajamas. Those are good things. Those are great things. Church should be a joy. We celebrate those things. This is not an anti-fun type of sermon. But we love those things because it brings boys and girls to come and to memorize God's word, to memorize the words of John 3, 16 that says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That makes those games worth it. They are not ends unto themselves. They are means. These are ways that we are trying to open the door so that they can hear the word. I was once having an interview with a denomination where they were helping me uh, get placed in in perhaps a church. And this person from this supposedly Christian denomination, when he asked me about my approach to the word of God, I told him essentially what I'm telling you just now. And he said, I wouldn't recommend that, Stephen. You're going to find yourself having a hard time getting hired at churches because they're going to think that you are uh, too dogmatic, that, that you're making too much of the word, that that's going to push people away. There's nothing else that we have. There's nothing else that we have to offer. There's nothing else that we can pray that God gives people other than the good news of what Jesus has done for him, which is revealed in Scripture and in Scripture alone. Therefore, we need to be living and praying vigil- vigilantly for our Awana program, for our precepts classes, for our children's ministries, for the other churches in the area, for the sake of them pointing to people to God's Word and God's Word alone. Point number two, we see this in the next verse, verse four. Paul's prayer request, he asks that they pray watchfully and continually that he may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, is what Paul's saying in the first person. Don't be confused by this verse. This is your next point, that pray that God shares his word clearly. This can be a very confusing point because... People sometimes assume that God's word is inherently unclear, that it's tricky, that it has hidden meaning that one cannot understand based on just reading the passage alone. That is not what God's word means. That is not what this verse means. God's word is clear in so much as it presents itself with human language clearly in a way that even children can receive and understand. You don't need a pastor to come and reveal to you some kind of hidden knowledge of what the text says. Every week, I try to come and just be a mouthpiece to repeat what God's word has said. He's already said it clearly. I'm just trying to repeat it clearly so that we can be challenged by it and so that we can apply it. That's why we do expositional preaching. We are just exposing. We are just repeating what God has already clearly said. But we should be praying that even though God's word is clear, because we are sinners, because our heart is hard, we spiritually tend to resist the clear message of the word. That people will become haughty, that they will become arrogant, that they will become angry towards Christians. You've seen it. You've seen it on social media. You've seen it in your families. You've seen it in real life. You will just clearly present the gospel, the truth of who God is and who they are, and people will reject it. It's not because the Bible isn't clear. It's because the Bible needs to be shared repeatedly. This is really what the Word is saying. Paul is talking about the mystery of Christ, something that has not been revealed yet. His prayer is that he will be used as a tool of God to reveal what God has revealed in Scripture. That must be our prayer. You don't need to be smart to understand God's Word. You don't need to go to seminary in order to understand God's Word. You need to simply pick up and read in order to understand God's word. As Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. We need to be praying every Sunday, every time someone teaches, every time God's word is being shared, similar to what you hear me pray for at the beginning of my messages. Pray that God's word will be received, that it will be recognized in its clarity, and that people will be convicted to see it, to hear it, and to apply it. We should be actively praying for that. Let's continue now on to our final two points. The next point is this. Paul is now shifting specifically from what they should be praying for now to how they can actively be obeying for the sake of fulfilling those own prayers in their own church. It's an amazing thing. Paul is telling them, Pray that God's word spreads and that it's revealed and that it's revealed clearly. But now in these next few verses, he's going to tell them that if they do X, Y, and Z, that those prayer requests are going to be answered in Colossae as well. And same for Graham. If we fulfill these next few verses, these prayer requests that we give, that God's word is shared and it is received as clear, we'll see that happening in our church as well. So our next point is that we should be living with intentionality for others' salvation. We see this in verse 5 where it says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Maybe your translation says redeeming the time. That's a phrase that perhaps you've heard or used before. This is where that comes from. What it means is that you are not just here on earth right now to waste your time. You are not just on this earth passively. God is not just up on his throne with other things to do, so he decides that you can just hang out on earth for a while before dying and going to heaven. He has you on earth today and tomorrow, and for however many days he has assigned for you, he's assigned you those days for a purpose. That purpose is to declare God's word, to share God's word with others, and that includes in the way that we treat others, in the way that we live. Paul says to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Not that living righteously and living wisely replaces the sharing of the word, but living righteously and wisely opens a door to share the word. When people see you in the backyard cussing up a storm because a lawnmower isn't starting, uh, when people see you screaming at your kids as you're going out of the garage, when when they see you um, telling dirty jokes at work or um, just acting in a way that is not becoming of a Christian, that closes a door for them to want to hear the word that you would then want to share with them. That your life here on earth is for the intention of what God commanded his disciples in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. That as you are going, you will multiply. That you will make more followers of Jesus through teaching, and through baptizing. Not through harvest festivals, not through fun programs, not through a strategic social media um, posting, but simply through teaching people to receive Christ as Lord and baptizing them when they do so. Finally, your fourth point is from verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is not just a verse about how we treat each other. It's not just a verse about how we speak to each other, although it can be. We have this verse written out on the wall in our foyer right now. But the context of this command is that when we speak, it should be in a way that is pleasant. It should be in a way that is enjoyable, not off-putting like poor-tasting food, but something that makes you want more of it. When you talk to non-Christians, either on social media or in person or through texting, talk about God's Word in a way that is true and is, and is clear, but also let it speak for itself. God's Word is beautiful. God's Word is kind. God's Word is gracious. Don't muddle God's word, don't make it unclear by submitting your own anger or boldness is the word that we use to excuse our sin. Don't put your own anger in off-putting and, for lack of a better term, being a jerk in the way that you speak to others or communicate truth to others. Do it in a way that is humble. Do it in a way that is kind. Do it in a way that is Christ-like and is the way that Christ spoke to non-believers. Do that, and God will use his church to both sanctify each other in the faith, to grow people into a deeper walk with the Lord, and as a result for that deeper walk, that vertical relationship, to have horizontal impact by bringing nonbelievers into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The question that we asked at the beginning of the message is, is church for Christians or is church for non-Christians? Church is for God. Church is for God. This church is for God. It's not for you. It's not for the unbeliever who's here for the first time this morning. It's not for the people that are going to come next week. This church is for God. We do it for His glory. We do it to praise Him. The church belongs to Him, and the church is made up of believers. And the church that is belonging to God made up of believers has been given a great commission to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and as they are going to make disciples of all nations. If we believe that this is God's church, if we continually pray for and obey in such a way that prioritizes the gospel found in the word of God, God will use us to reach the unsaved. More than the shiny churches down the street, More than the mega churches across the country, God will use Graham Emanuel Baptist Church if we recognize that this church belongs to Him and that it's for believers praying and obeying that God's word will be clearly shared. Let's pray.